Welcome back to Two Homers and a Realist. This is a midweek pod. We've got the Tulsa game coming up. We are pretty pumped for this because it's going to, I think, tell us a lot about the direction that this program wants to head, especially in offense. We're going to get to all that in a second. I'm Steve. Lucas. Jay. Connor. All right, so guys, let's let's start out with um, a little bit of not too much retrospective on SMU, but a little bit of where we stand right now coming out of a game that we won handily at the end of the day, but was in doubt for a bit longer than it should have been, and we were fairly disappointed about, especially on offense, really just on offense. I think we were pretty satisfied with the defense, maybe more satisfied as we as we analyze it going deeper into the, the week in, in retrospect, but I'm pretty concerned about offense. I put out the Twitter poll this week and asked what is the big limitation for OU and um, maybe somebody pulled that up so we can have some results um, I, I basically said is it is it offensive play calling um, what 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 is the limitation keeping OU from its complete success was the exact question is it offensive play calling is it offensive execution is it defensive effectiveness or is there not a big limitation and we've kind of solved the problems and, and nothing big is holding us back at this point. What were the results? So uh, pretty overwhelming for the first one, the offensive play calling at 60%. Uh, you have offensive execution as the problem at 20%. Defensive effectiveness, I don't know if someone just accidentally hit a button or we have a, a troll out there, but that's at 4%. And then we have there are no big limits at 16%. So more than what I thought, wow. more than what I thought in that last category, but um, I think overwhelmingly probably would agree with uh, what I put, at least, in the, the offensive play calling. I, I said offensive play calling, and, and I'm going to, as a homer, call out anyone who says there's no big limitations. I disagree. We have got some limitations in front of us right now. Um, I'm concerned. What I do you think guys there's think? some blindness. I mean, I, I, listening to just some responses from what we analyzed over the, over the weekend on Saturday, um, what I'm hearing in local radio talk and, and sports media, uh, it's almost like we're getting the impression of, of beggars can't be choosers and we either need to have this choice of a red pill, blue pill. Do you want a, you can choose one of two, a great defense and a mediocre or less than stellar offense or a Lincoln Riley offense and an Alex Grinch defense. And I disagree with that take completely. I think you, as, as an Oklahoma fan, I expect to be sound on both sides of the ball We've definitely showed that defensively. Um, at my homer take has very, been very much towards the defense in the first two games, uh, especially after the SMU game. But if you don't see the limitations, both from a – and that's why I liked our Twitter polls because we didn't give the, the option that I would put if it was there of I think we have limitations both in the play calling uh, area as well as the execution area. Yeah, I think unfortunately it's a limit, of both. Twitter limits or X limits us to four choices yep. or we definitely would have said both of the above – but it's to good to see what it's good to see what none. people think of, yeah. of out of those two, which one which one they think is more predominant. And I did go with the play calling as well. I think um, I've heard a lot of excuses in the past uh, three days as to why the offense looked the way it did, and you know everyone's giving or there's people like us giving Dylan Gabriel heat when, in my eyes, being at the game, watching the game, uh, just a, another less than impressive game for for a quarterback that I'm I'm being told is is a very good quarterback and is at the caliber that that OU needs to to get to the next level that we keep talking about so um yeah that's that's kind of my take yeah I don't like the false dichotomy of the idea that we have to choose between the two we're o, OU we're an absolute blue blood we should be in the position the luxury of having very good elite level of play eventually um at both uh, sides of the ball. What do you guys think? Yeah, you can argue that you're never going to have the number one offense and number one defense because Certainly. you're either scoring too fast or vice versa. But to what you're saying, you can absolutely have uh, a top 10 unit of one and a top 25 and another, which combined makes an, an elite team. And I, I agree with the excuses from local media and even all over Twitter from just general fans um, you know, showing Gabriel's numbers, his completion percentages, his he hasn't thrown any picks, and yeah. like no, there's so much left on the field, and I for the poll I actually put it more on the player limitation 
just because um, I was not at the game like you guys were, but from what you had said, there are multiple receivers open, and I've seen different uh, reviews and different plays, and I've rewatched the game twice, and you can't see as much always who's open on the TV screen, but uh, there's no way that Jeff Lebby, even though I'm not fully on board with him yet, is designing plays to not score as many points as possible. So there has to be meat left on the bone, and that ultimately comes down to Gabriel decision-making and not wanting to press the ball down the field. Now you can say he's not done anything to hurt us, which he hasn't. He's put us in good positions, but that's only going to work for so long. And particularly if most of us and everyone listening probably saw the Texas game, if you think we're going to dink and doink our way down the field and just play four quarters of shutdown defense, I mean, you're majorly mistaken. And real, and real quick, just to go kind of along with what I still am calling somewhat of a false narrative with the numbers and, and the stats that we're seeing, you get a graphic like Fox released. I think it was Fox Sports released today of there's two, only two teams in the country that have a top 10 defense and a top 10 offense. When our top 10 offense, quote-unquote... Which was what, Oklahoma and Syracuse. He, Oklahoma and Syracuse. Uh, one of those two teams is us. So uh, an average fan is probably looking at that and be like, oh, man, we're finally putting all this together, where those numbers are so skewed because of that lopsided score in game one, where we all said even our offense looked great. It looked productive, right? Um, and then it went into a shell. And then it the goes into game. a shell of itself. So it's just I, all the fallacies out there um, are creating this just weird mixture of emotions amongst the fan base and thinking back on the smu game we had short field three three of those scores because we had the punt block short field we had key lawrence punching the ball away um that wasn't that short i guess that was probably on our own 40. um yeah that was over on downs we had the turnover on downs that gave us the ball on their 30. so there's three right we only had one we had a 75 yard drive after they scored to make it 14 to 11. So other than that drive, we really didn't have to go the full length of the field any other time for the, you know, for the other 21 points were all shorter. And so, yeah, he threw four touchdowns, but his average yards per throw was 3.7. Is that right? 3.7 yards. And of it was lowest in his career. Depth. His previous low was at UCF was like six and a half. That's a huge difference. In, I mean, three yards doesn't sound like a lot, but no, over, a lot. over the course average, of – On average, it's yeah, a lot. On, on average, it, it is a lot. And to Jay's point, there's no way Jeff Levy's drawing up plays to get Dylan Gabriel an average depth of passing of 3.7 yards. Unless they've got nine guys back in pass coverage. coverage. Yeah. And, and they didn't. They didn't. Yeah. Um, I, what did Brent say about uh, Petaway not playing? So that another interesting thing, and I think we touched on it in the post game a little bit, how there was this kind of two different two different mindsets it looks like between coaching of playing a bunch of young talented guys on defense and having a lot of strong rotations, and then seemingly the other day not having a lot of that. So his his uh, I will say excuse uh, around Petaway was well Drake Stoops was back, um, obviously. We want some more experience and some more, and this is paraphrasing, but we want more experience, we want some more seniority at that position out on the field. Yeah, less explosive, explosiveness, but more, more well, seniority. And Petaway did not play a single snap last week. Yeah. And that doesn't make sense to me at all because, and that is an excuse. I think he's making an excuse to defend his offensive coordinator, and I understand that for what it's worth, that he's got to do some of that. But in truth... That's a really bad answer. You can't think, well, against SMU, we need our experienced guy out there. You, you no, know, you need your young player with explosiveness to get a lot of at-bats, if you will, to mix a football-baseball analogy. And you, you need to have the experience because you're going to call on him later in the season when you don't have the luxury of playing in SMU. And SMU would have been a great chance to do that. And sorry, Lucas, I know you have a couple more, but SMU would have been a great opportunity for that because they do have solid players on the defensive side of the ball, but in my eyes are still a much lesser opponent. Absolutely. That, than especially what we're on defense. Be, especially on defense. So what we're gonna be do facing. we blame Jeff Levy for not getting Petaway in there, or is that Emma Jones going with the senior guys? I don't know, but it'd be great to know. Yeah. yeah. I would love to find out if – because, like you said earlier, we, on the defense, we saw Peyton Bowen out there, a true freshman. 
We saw, well, Gentry Williams got hurt. Kanai Walker came in. But Kobe McKenzie, Kobe Kip Lewis. Kobe out there. Kip, Kip Lewis, Lewis playing lots well, of. Well, already a sophomore, but Adibore. Lewis is too, I think, right? Adibore, yeah. Yeah, PJ came in and got some good rushing. So I don't know what the philosophy was, like you said, of bringing these young guys in against SMU. But on defense, and then not reciprocating on offense. Where, where between the two, unless we're completely mistaken, SMU's offense is the much better unit. Yes. So that's where I think you'd say we're going to rely on our seasoned, experienced people that we trust more and will take more chances on offense, not the other way around. And maybe it goes a little bit back to what Jay was put in the Twitter poll, and this is this may be digging a little bit deep, but is. Is Dylan Gabriel the problem of not being able to get on the same page with a large group of receivers and he has to have certain guys out there to throw to? Or he's A, not trusting someone, or B, just not able to execute with certain guys? I don't know. I mean, there's it begs well, the question because that. I'm so dumbfounded by what we saw. I mean, oh. they go on his dime-time retreat, the whole group of them. You kept hearing that in the offseason he was throwing to the younger guys because he wanted to develop a chemistry with them. And then in the first game... Petaway did catch passes from Dylan Gabriel. He caught more when Jackson got in there, but obviously that was more mop-up duty, so the younger guys were in there. But I, And I know you have to have timing on with receivers, but there's only so many routes to be not run. Not on checkdowns. Yeah, not on checkdowns. <laughs> there's only so many routes to be to be thrown, and it just didn't seem like we – we didn't throw one deep ball. Mm-mm. I mean, we had two pass interferences the first game, and we had plenty of deep – catches and then you didn't you didn't test their defense once and i heard some people saying oh well they weren't giving up the deep ball they they were playing back they weren't i i sat in the end zone the best seats in the house and watched the way that defense played and they didn't have three high safety you know it it they it wasn't a case of no we're protecting deep at all costs because they weren't and if that was the case we should have had a bunch of 15 yard routes which we didn't we kept having Three to five yards. Yeah, if routes. they took away the deep ball, they did it by putting a hex on Dylan Gabriel and causing him not to even look to that as an option. But even when someone is taking away the deep ball, you still have to throw it occasionally. Occasionally, just to keep them honest, which opens up more of your or something stuff. beyond if you're five, never, yards, five yards. If you're never exactly. doing it at all, there's just zero threat, literally zero threat of you doing it, and they just keep everything within distance well everybody keeps going back to this and i know we could go on and on about this so uh maybe move on shortly but everyone keeps going back to this third and six that we had that we called a run on because and i heard today it was because jeff levy thought it was going to be four down territory and thought we get that that was the only that was the only carry that gavin sachek saw all day as well just as a side note but in those third and six situations why are we why is that a why is the run the first option and b there's nothing creative in these intermediate routes between I, I use that phrase a lot, but it's because I haven't seen it. I don't see anything from the five to 15 yard range that we're running that is successful with Gabriel throwing the ball. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that we've seen in the past of someone running up the seam or running up a scene and then a, a post route or anything like that. It's all just this to the flat or from Saturday, a, a draw play. That's just, it's, even when he throws me. slants, the people are having to go down to the ground to catch it, which is a <laughs> safe slant him. throw. It's always right? safe. It's always but safe. But it's never in here. front of the guy so that he can catch it and let your athlete work in space. Let like Jaleel Farouk do what Jaleel Farouk did right. on that on that last touchdown. And then this will transition into our next topic. But last touchdown. Levy came up in the Baylor system under Bryles, and they had very creative offensive passing plays. They, Baylor was really good at having the really tall outside receivers that could, were blazing guys, but they also had the kind of smaller Corey Coleman type shorter guys, guys that could that ran really good slants that would and just, burn you on a yeah slant. they would just blow up and they they had so much crossing going on that the defenders didn't know where they needed to cover and by the time the ball got out really quickly that guy could catch it and make a move because the defenders were still running into each other on crossing routes, stuff like that. And I haven't seen any of that under Levy. No, I, I would agree, and I want to stick with this for a minute before we get to another topic that you allude to. So a couple different thoughts here. One is, with back to the fans and what I would call the naive take on it, which is you cover the spread 28 to 
uh, 11, everything looks fine on paper. It doesn't. You, that's, we have, uh, in statistics, an n equals 2. Two iterations. We don't have a lot of sample size to look at. So you've got to dig deep into each and every different play to understand what's going on and what might be lacking. And as we do that, we're seeing and we're hitting on all those high notes. We're not testing it deep. We're not looking for our options early in a play. It seems like he's looking maybe in a reverse order of where he should be looking. Like short to deep. Short to deep, deep to instead of deep to short. Um, by the not testing deep, this occurs to me as a, at least a theory when you bring this up, Jay. I wonder if the with the mistakes last week and they're looking at film, is DG getting the wrong message in the film room and he's thinking, don't throw deep. When, when the coaching is, no, 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 throw deep, just do it earlier. And he goes into this game thinking, well, I'm not going to throw deep because I'm not going to make that mistake again. Because he did not look deep at all to make those potential throws that we saw several times and were frustrated about because we knew that the option was there and he wasn't even attempting it. Another thing that caught my eye, and I don't know, it, I don't know if you can know if you're not a coach, there were certain times where there was a designed, or that's the question, a chosen handoff or a designed chosen um, quarterback keep that I wonder, is that a run pass option or is that a, a, an option of, of, of handoff versus keep it or is that designed the whole way? And so that tells me who do I blame because I'm talking about plays that completely failed and plays where Gabriel is handing the ball off and then finishing the play in in a mock sense and to try and draw the defense, and there's the nobody on that side, uh, yeah, or vice versa. I, I think those he are, fakes the handoff. The running back's running free with no football, and he's yeah. struggling. I think there was maybe two or three zone reads in the whole game, and the rest were all called handoffs that he just continues to flow yeah, out. Yeah, so the zone read and the run pass but, option, because where he's not choosing, right. he's choosing to run. When the defender's crashing down. When he doesn't. As you Pass. hand the ball off, that's the one you keep and you go around the edge for yeah. 15 yards because there was nobody there. Yeah, I think he's struggled with that. Rattler struggled hardcore with that. Yeah. And the difference when you do have a Jackson Arnold in the game, he – I mean, the RPO stuff or the zone read, it's fairly new. And you didn't – these kids didn't necessarily grow up running it like a Jackson Arnold did. Yeah. He's been running, reading that, whatever his read is, the defensive end or the outside linebacker or whatever, he's been reading that his whole life. Yeah. And there's a significant difference from someone that's trying to learn it as a college player. Because it is a feel situation. Yeah. yeah, it's a feel. It's it's a You have to trust that something you're seeing innate. it correctly where the defensive end crashes you and can't, you keep it. You can't put your thumb on it, but you know what I need to do. And yeah. you just, it, your instincts kick in. You have good instincts. It doesn't seem like Gabriel has good instincts there. Or, or it's play calling, and we're designing calls that I don't think you should design. That doesn't make sense because you don't know when you call that play where the like, end's going to line up. I even feel like if you called, hey, you're handing this off, Jackson Arnold, and as he's going to do it, he, would he sees the defensive I end. I think you're like, right. He's going to eat this I up. I think you're right. I think he'll go against the whole play call. Yeah. Like I really when, do. Like oh, just like Peyton I think Bowen, Peyton Bowen exactly said what I was going to say. Block. Yes, he said I was not supposed to go after that punt, but when as soon as that was snapped and I saw the the gap, I, I went for it. Just like Superman yep. left left his Roy feet, Williams, they said, they "Do said, not leave your feet," <laughs> yep. and he left his feet and made the one of the greatest plays in the history of OU football. So now that we're done beating a dead horse, let's go to something else that's been a dead horse being beaten all all, right. all week long so far. Art Bryles. So Art Bryles was. At the game, he is the father-in-law of Jeff Levy, if you don't know this already. He was um, wearing OU gear. He, I guess, came down and was on the field well after the game, but inside of players and families and, and media who caught, caught pictures of it. And he got pictures with, with, with Jeff and, and the family down there. Well, the, the, the picture in the end zone was, wasn't after the game. That was before the game? Yes. Yes, because yeah. Lebby was wearing his That's suit. Right. That's right. And so he's got Lebby, his two kids, and Bryles in the end zone, and the sun's still up. So we've got, yeah, that's the, right. The, the gotcha-type picture was after. after the game. And they, they kept saying, well, after, like it was an hour after. And they do their post-game well, press conference before before an hour has passed. Right. So it, it wasn't that, that far, far And then they kept saying, well, he didn't have a sideline pass. 
he came down with the family. So can we just go on the field after the game? No. No, I no. think they have. I don't think we can. Something that delineates. No, you have to be given that a wristband privilege. Of some sort. Yeah. yeah. So my take on it is there's a bit of underreaction and overreaction going on about the entire thing. And where I come down is it's a private matter, private to the university, private to the system, private to the organization, and private to that family. Uh, I have my problems with Art Bryles. I need to read up more on the story because I don't think I know all the exact facts, but I don't know if any of us know the exact facts of, of everything that transpired at Baylor. I will say the guy's got a lot of baggage that I think is well-deserved, and I completely understand them as an organization saying we do not want that association. It's enough baggage to be an elite play caller, and you can't get hired. And you can't get hired. hired. So I can understand them saying, and it sounds like they did, established ground rules that said here's what you can and can't do. Now, maybe there was vagueness in there, and that's been defined now, hopefully, if, if there was. It sounds like people didn't, at least they're pretending there wasn't any vagueness in what those ground rules were. So my fear is Jeff Lebby decided to push the envelope on it, if not outright defy the guidance that he had gotten from his higher-ups. That gives me concern. Is this guy taking a stand? Is he being a rebel? Is he going to break rules that the organization thinks are vitally important? Or... Was he confused and didn't know what he was gonna, what, what he was supposed to do, and where those boundaries existed? What do you guys think? If if Levy has access to a suite and his family's there and Bryles is there, I don't, I'm not gonna go against that. Like it's he's in the stands or the suite or whatever, but it should be one of those things like, hey, after the game, I'm gonna do my post game. I'll come home. We'll go out to eat, whatever. But in no circumstance should he ever be on the field. And I voiced major concerns personally before he ever got hired that I didn't think he should be a candidate because he came from that tree um, and that he is his father-in-law. But he, And I also had problems with I wasn't sure he was an actual offensive coordinator at UCF and at Ole Miss. Even with the title, I wasn't sure he was the one calling the plays all the time. But both things, to, to me now, look even more true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, some of that aside, you're you're saying it's still the issue of this is a really bad look. Yeah. That OU doesn't want. OU doesn't need. And he's put himself. It's almost like he took the opportunity with a big win of going ahead and bringing him down there, which just gives me concern. And I understand the post game press conference. He was probably surprised that any, anybody even noticed more than likely. So when Garen Eming asked him the question. And he said defiantly, you know, that's my father-in-law. That's a grand. That's the my, grandfather, my, my, my kids, kids, grandfather, whatever. And then and then Amy presses and says, "Well, how do you think you, that squares with OU fans?" And he goes again, "That's my father-in-law. That's the grandkid, the grandfather of my two kids." Blah blah blah. And then it kind of got dropped at that point. And then they asked Venables about it. He he said essentially, "Oh, I didn't know that. We're going to address it." And then the next morning, he gets on his socials, Jeff Lebby and posts the picture of them in the end zone pregame. Makes a profile picture. Makes his, his profile picture after he probably already had his butt chewed up and down by Castiglione and Venables that, hey, we had the ground rules that he wasn't going to be a, a, Maybe anywhere not. around. Or at least he knows it's coming. Uh, he knows the yeah, discussion's well, coming. I, no. It, that it, probably doesn't wait to the next day. I guarantee day. by the time that he left the premises of the yeah. stadium – it had already been well, either addressed. way, it's really bad. Yeah. You either have already been told again, yeah. or you know it's coming, and you're like throwing the gauntlet down yeah. saying, here, we're going to have so a he just battle. added fuel to the fire. Just, I think it's the Rebel situation. I just think he's like, I'm not going to back down on this at That's, all. That is it's a very interesting stance to and take that makes it worse to as me. him because it is an absolute privilege to be the offensive coordinator at the University of Absolutely. Oklahoma. Yeah. And if you're going to give that up so that your your or if father you think in law that's, or you think you're above it can be around to me it comes your family after the thing a game, I didn't send absurd. around but I thought of was the Bob Stoops quote no person is bigger than this program. No player, no coach, nothing is bigger than this program. And that's the exact situation here I think at hand is does Jeff Lebby think he's bigger than this program? Does he think he's big enough? He can defy the rules 
or do things the organization is saying, no, you cannot do. Well, he hasn't put an offense on the field good enough to do that yet. So that, That's yeah. the part that made me. And even then, he, even then, no, you're not. But you're right. It's even worse yeah. when you're doing uh, what you're on doing. On Sunday, that's what made it worse was to me was the profile picture because he was just spitting in everybody's face essentially with that. It, it could have just been a mishap where, you know, Bryles had the bracelet to get into the to get into the suite or whatever, and then he just went down along with the other seven people in the family or however many there was went down to the field, and, and he just didn't think anything of it. Right. I have heard somebody say that, I don't know if it's true or not, that the shirt that Bryles is wearing was a coach's, like a coach's equipment shirt, and that the huh. only place you can get that shirt is if you're one of the coaches, hmm. which that, I mean... They get all their free stuff. For, the, the, so for those who know, gave to his father-in-law for Christmas. I don't know. Yeah, but for those who know, that that's a signal. That's yeah. that's potentially a signal that that's pretty negative. What do you think, Connor? Yeah, uh, just I don't think it's the end of the world, though. It's I, not the end of the world. I don't think it's the end of the world. It shows a large amount of ignorance and bad judgment, situational awareness. Um, I think. To Lucas's point, I agree. If Bryles is there with the family supporting his son-in-law from a distance, great. Um, I'm, I see it in two two facets as well of of just weirdness and disappointment all around. Lebby, you're not going to tell me Lebby did not know the parameters of this agreement that we keep hearing about, and you're not going to tell me that. Um, he thought that, you know, this is just going to fly under the radar and that this had some sort of one-season expiration date of, oh, you know, this is just going to kind of fall under the under the rug and, you know, come down with the family, it's no big deal type of thing, especially if there were specific conversations happening when he was getting hired, which there 100% were. We don't know what those look like. We don't know what this agreement was. Um, it also shows a massive, massive lack of awareness on Art Bryles' side. Even, or care. Or care. Which to, to do, is, is a lot about... That's not surprising. It's is not surprising. That, <laughs> no, that's it's, the Art Bryles situation. surprising. It, it a guy sh- who, from all allegations, thought he was above the law. Yeah. And it shows me two things with him. One, that he would accept an invitation to go down to the field. And it, it's a bad look for him as well. It is. Um, well, he put his, he's put his son-in-law he's in a put bad his, position. He's put his family yes. in if a bad position. If anyone needs to be position. mature there, he needs to be mature and say, this isn't no, a good idea. Jeff, this isn't a good idea. Let me do this. I'll see you guys after. Yeah, let me... You have to know... It, this, is, this cannot be a surprise. Right. You have to know mm-hmm. how this is going to be perceived and how certain people are going to take it and, and the concerns that are going to erupt out of it. So it's, And the association it's with the, the program by... I don't even care if it's a coach's issue, player issue shirt. Just wearing an OU emblem on your chest on, you know, for us, this hollowed ground that we put a lot of time and money and emotion into, not only us, but players and other coaches who are upstanding people. Um, I just think it was, it was, I hate that Jeff Lebby needed to be treated with kid gloves after that. Um, I'm I'm a little different on that, but not too much. I I understand and think it's fine that he's wearing OU um, the the OU gear that he's in 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 solidarity and support. I think it's just where he's wearing. it. I that, think though. it's the fact that he's down there wearing it and that he's. Um, so to me, it's that he's down there. It doesn't matter where he's wearing. It. He could be naked. He could be wearing Baylor oh, stuff. He could be wearing OU stuff. <laughs> I don't think he's what's, ever going to wear Baylor stuff. What's yeah. bad is that he's down there. It What he's wearing is kind of irrespective to me. Well, but, when Shane yeah. Beamer was here, his dad, famous Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer, he wore OU gear to multiple games, and I thought it was great. Right. I love seeing him out there supporting his supporting son. His son. Yeah. But Frank Beamer doesn't have a, a, a cloud around him rape over all the stuff that happened right. that got him fired. Yeah, you know? cover up to rape. But yes, right. I just yes. think it's I, I think it's just very very it's just in poor taste all around. Um, poor I, I understand I understand Levy's comments after the after the when he gets into his post game presser. I understand his initial knee jerk reaction like to defend his family. Hundred percent, hundred percent understand that. And I don't think 
I think, like like you guys said, he may have just been dumb enough to think no one was going to notice it, and he wasn't about to get hit with this question. But at the same time, it's like, dude, everything's a story at a program like this. Right. I mean, yeah. and, and there's nothing there's nothing that's going to go going to go unseen. Um, so, well, I come back to. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I just, I, I think. You also have to factor in. It's not the end of the world. Like, he like Lucas he said. wore those shirts, the CAB shirts, after Bryles was fired. They were wearing the CAB shirts in support of Coach Art Bryles mm-hmm. after all that had already happened. And, and plenty had come to light at that point to where, to me, you shouldn't be advertising the fact right. that you, you're supporting Right. You can defend him. it, but you don't need to. Exactly. That's yeah, not the right he was, venue. Yeah. He was heavily vetted. And. I don't know who ultimately made the final decision. Like, okay, we're we're okay with this, but when you know you're heavily vetted for something that is surrounding you from a different situation, to then not have that awareness yep. still, right, is just like, come on. Well, think, it's, it can't yeah. be a surprise. That's the deal. It right. cannot be a surprise. And you, Art Bryles, and you, Jeff Levy, and everyone else is are paid millions of dollars, millions of dollars to understand the situation. This is not a, a sixth grader making a mistake here in Art Bryles. This is not a sixth grader in Jeff Levy making a, a, a mistake. This is a grown man who's paid millions of dollars in his organization. He has got to have more awareness than that. His statement on Monday was way, was hat in hand, essentially. They, I don't know that, oh, you prepared that. I think he just came out and, and I like was that. beat I'm, down, essentially. was like, I'll, yeah, I screwed up. I'm and I, I and I absolutely yeah, accept that. You have to do and, that at that point. And I well, I'm glad to hear it. It, it might have been like if you don't come out and apologize for this, you're gone. Well, it and, might and have been one of those situations. At the in the one hand, didn't surprise me. On the other hand, I'm very glad to hear it, and I accept yep. that apology. I accept what yep, he's saying. I agree. I'm ready to move on. It's a don't let it happen again. We need to talk about offense. it on this pod because that, it needs the, to be. Our post game was out so fast before any of that happened. We talked about it immediately so, after as it was unfolding. unfolding yeah. But yeah, our, after our, our, pod was our post done. our post game comes out so fast yep. faster than anyone else that, that we uh, we didn't get a chance to comment on it. It's it is an issue. It's definitely something, but I think the big issue is is the man the right man for the job and is his play calling, is his work with Dylan Gabriel, is Gabriel the, the problem? What's going on? And that's the question that we've been circling around for a while. So one of the things I want to transition to is what to watch for against Tulsa. And to me, it is right at home base here with what we've been saying, um, creativity and production on offense. You have got to have a big statement game on offense against Tulsa where you clearly show that you have a capability of putting lots of points on the board and threatening down the field and and be able to dominate that side of the ball. And one of the things that I want to see is what I'm calling a lack of playing depth. And what I mean by that turn of phrase is we have a lot of depth. We're not playing it. I want to see us playing a lot of players. Petaway among so many others. I want us throwing to lots of targets. I want to see I want to see some drop balls out of guys that we realize aren't the right guy for the position. And then I want to see guys have a chance to make a play that we aren't throwing the ball to or we're not handing the ball off to and all of that. I want to see a lot of uh, explosiveness or at least the potential for it. I want to I want to flesh this out. I want to know what's going on because we don't have long to figure out if Dylan Gabriel's the answer or not. Yeah, for me, I'm confused because season one under Lebby was hit or miss, but it's a, it's a whole new coaching staff. It, you got a whole bunch of new players. And that was the strength of the team last year. Right. And it was it was a good offense. It was not what we're used to, but it was a good offense. Very effective. But I felt like the bowl game was an excellent game plan. I think it was executed very well. We had uh, a makeshift offensive line that held its own. We had two young running backs that looked like it built a lot of excitement for this upcoming season because you could see the talent and the potential from Barnes and Sawchuck. And this game feels like you've just completely reverted back to questioning personnel decisions, game planning, play calling. Um, I mean, literally everything you can think of as an offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have, no offense to Stoops, solid player, walk-on. Tawi Walker, 
solid player, walk on. This is the University of Oklahoma. Blake Smith. Yeah, you Gavin cannot. Freeman. Gavin Freeman. Yeah, but even Gavin at least is an elite talent that shouldn't have been a walk on. He should have been recruited in the first place. But at Oklahoma, these are not the players that you have getting the majority of snaps to get to where we're supposed to be getting to. It's absurd to have Barnes and Sawchuck, unless there's an injury or um, didn't they were in trouble, or, didn't show yeah. up to class or whatever, to not get on the field along with Gibson and Anderson and Petaway. It's just, it makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, I'll, I'll echo the same. I'm, I'm looking for, I mean, continued dominance on the defensive side of the ball. It sounds like, uh, from what we heard today, Harrington's banged up, is not going to play. Um, on Saturday, excited to see Bowen. Yeah, I'm kind of Bowen. excited about excited that. Excited to yeah. see Bowen in a more prominent role. I'm, and I think very highly of Harrington. But yep. this is an opportunity to see if these other guys can can come rise up to the to occasion show next. and yep. show what's next. Yeah, and which you should have done with Stoops. Yep. Let his shoulder heal up. You yeah. didn't have to get out there for SMU. Well, to show and to to echo, I I am confused with the running back situation. Um, as great as as Walker has looked. Uh, you're not going to tell me that he should be your guy right now. He is our guy right now. He has he shown is. us is he's he's been the most talented out of the group in terms of production. But Barnes got six snaps the other day. It's not enough to Sawchuk, see anything. Sawchuk got one. That's or, not sorry, Sawchuk got three. And those are those going into the season. We're all we're all asking ourselves who's going to be the premier premier back out of those two. And even whoever is, the other one's going to be a close second because they're both going to be dominant. They each got 100 yards rushing in the bowl game against the Florida State team that hadn't allowed over – that was the most yards they allowed all season. And not to, not to look forward forward because I do think we are going to see a more Arkansas State type of offense – on Saturday, I really do. You I, mean OU playing in Arkansas State, yeah. like like we did against Arkansas? Yeah, State. exactly. Yes, that that similar play style, similar play calling. Um, I want to see that the dominance that I expect to see on Saturday. I want to see that translate into the following week on the road against. Well, one Cincinnati. of the things I want to see is some continuity at running back and some decision-making in terms of who is in there and getting snaps and getting carries so that you actually can get some evaluation. But is it the, is it the same pro- – like, is, who, is, who is dictating those rotations during the game? Is it DeMarco and Lebby saying this is who I think we need in there right now? Or is it DeMarco saying, hey, I'm going with Walker right now. Get out there, Walker. All, or, all we can go off of is Brent says something along the lines of, Throughout the week, if you've earned 30% of the snaps throughout, through practice, then you'll get 30% of the snaps in the game. But I don't know, I don't know that you can – We talked about that earlier in an earlier pod about some guys play better under the lights. Yep. So yep. I'm all for you shouldn't be slacking off in practice, but some guys are practice guys yes. and some guys are heroes on the field. That's one thing I wanted to bring up when you were saying about Dylan Gabriel, so thanks for bringing it up as well. Same thought, both with Dylan and what he did in the offseason – with guys getting together and throwing balls to them, you and I can go throw the ball in the yard. I'll look actually pretty good. Mm. It's going to be different. When, yeah, all right, another <laughs> receiver. Um, but it's different when you're actually in the game. And so you need to see in game speed who is actually able to rise up and execute. There is a true, there is truth in the idea that you've got a gamer and you've got people that can that are ballers when the game is actually at hand. I'm not saying they slack off in practice, and they shouldn't. And I respect the idea that you've got to figure out who is your, your, your team based on your practice squad. But you've got to give guys a chance in real game play to see who can actually in game speed execute. And getting six carries and three carries is, again, back to statistics, not enough. It's just not enough to figure anything out. I'm looking at last week's stats, and Tulsa gave up 454 yards passing to Washington. Which is uh, good, good, good quarterback, good receivers. Yes, I mean they're ranked number eight right now. Washington is not a bad team, so I expect us to throw the ball quite a bit early at on. Will. At, at least three fifty. Yeah, we, we should be able to have our way with with them in the air at least the first half, and then maybe if we've got a good enough lead, that we start running the ball more in the second half, and maybe actually using the play clock to our advantage to kind of get yes. off, you know, run some clock, and so shorten this game to where. 
you got less injuries, but you're still working on stuff that well, you I'd need to say, work on. Well, I'd say I want to see us um, in terms of a what to watch for. Unlike what we saw in, in, against Arkansas State, which I completely understand if this is what they were going to do. Maybe this is part of the master plan. You, you, against Arkansas State, you have your you exert your will, and the second half starts with Arnold, and you let Arnold do his thing, and you let him pass and everything. This game might be, if you've done everything right, you may be giving Arnold the ball to start the second half, and he's handing the ball off. And I will actually be one to say, I'm okay seeing him hand the ball off because now we need to see who the running backs are. And let's get these running backs lots of carries and lots of game film so that we can figure out who does what right, including also offensive line in terms of blocking. So we kind of know Arnold's really damn good. Yes, I'd like for him to get a lot more snaps and a lot more experience. I also want these other guys to get a lot more snaps and a lot more experience. And I'd like to see us run the ball down their throat in the second half. I mean, my dream scenario is we've thrown for 350 yards and five touchdowns in the first half, and then the second half is nothing but running the ball, and let's just see if we can run the ball for 350 yards. And somebody asked Britt today if they had the thought of red-shirting Jackson Arnold, which I never once thought that was going to happen. And he Eli asked him said, that. We don't – oh, Eli asked him that. I mean, it's it's a, a legitimate question. question. It's a good question. Thank right. you, Eli. Because you want And to when he's on the, the pod, I'll tell him. That's a good yeah, question. When you want to hear the answer, which is what we thought, we're not deep enough to, to not redshirt him because you're not yeah. going to – he's played in two games. You're not going to only use him two more games the rest of the season. It's beyond that. It's it's everything. It's, yes, we are not deep enough. And, two, he's, he's too good to he's not use. He's too good not to use him yeah. because he's not going to be here four years. But let's not just use him on Belldozer right. all the time. That actually scared me as I thought about it. We're using him to lower his head and go into the meat of the defense. And I love the play. Yeah. Unlike some others in the in the podcast world who have been out there saying that he's not the belldozer, I think he can be very effective there. However, I don't want to see us only use him as that specialty player that only does that and not use him and utilize him for all of his other talents, including giving him a lot of experience. I've got a pretty good comparison that I just thought of the other day. Uh, the national championship year for Florida with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Yeah. Chris Leak was a very serviceable college quarterback. He wasn't amazing. He was pretty good. But they had this kid coming behind him that was really damn good and had more than just an arm. He had a brain. He Field had vision. He, he's the, a runner. He had the yeah. vision. He had the the toughness to get to get those tough yards. But he could also throw the ball well enough, which Jackson Arnold has a way better arm than Tebow. Oh, way, but, way better. But um, they, they went through that whole season using both the whole mm-hmm. season, and in a in a very w- good way, um, Chris Leak will get out there and start the game. But then, not just in moments, you put Tebow out there, and he would do his jump pass thing. Or, you know, once the defense started keying on that, he would just drop back and throw. Well, I think that's a great point, and I think that that I'm going to use it to support my other point as well. Tim Tebow was a player who was a gamer, and I don't think you see all that in practice with a guy like Tim Tebow. Yep. And another guy that's like that is Baker Mayfield. I, I'm sure Baker Mayfield was a great practice player. I, I bet you did not see the Baker Mayfield in practice the way you see him in games. I don't know. They, they did when he was on the, um, the what you call it? The, the, the intramural team. The, the intramural. Yeah, well, yeah. he was on the, uh, the, 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 the scout team. The scout team, oh, yeah. 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 When he was on the scout team, it was him and Doriel Green Beckham. And the defensive guys were like, my God, if these guys were playing right now, we'd win the national championship because they're unreal. And then, obviously, he got his shot and proved it. But I think you really see that, and and that's probably what you see in a scout team versus just running through the motions of of being in in practice. You you see more of a play like a game like experience where you're saying this this guy has what it takes. He's got what it takes to win in a game. He sees the field in a game, and it's different. Game speed is different. Game pressure is different. It's one thing to say I'm going to work through my progressions and see the whole field when it's practice because you know it's practice and you're wearing a blue jersey. It's very different when you're in an actual game and those guys are going to destroy you if you do something wrong. you can't simulate 80,000 fans in the stands with all the game noise and all that and just the the feel of all those people giving you energy. You can't replicate that on the practice field. And not to pilot on the kid, because I, I think he is a good guy, and I think he... And we're all rooting for Dylan Gabriel. It, but I, I, I think Dylan is probably the opposite. I bet Dylan in practice is 
I bet, bet he slings it. I bet he is dime time in practice. I bet he is. I bet people are like crap. I mean, I, I don't want to go up against this right now, but where is he this? does he does get under those lights, and I see what I assume is a complete different quarterback. So well, I'll I give think you things another, move too fast for him. I'll give you another uh, analogy, and that's Landry Jones. And he played and had a lot of success in the NFL as a backup quarterback, but he was a clipboard carrier, and he did great, and I'm sure he was great in, in doing everything he needed to do on a practice field and as a scout team leader and everything else. And we saw, and he was very prolific at OU, yet he made a lot of mistakes, and he, and he did not see the whole field. He saw, he, he would throw passes that were, uh, you know, I think he invented the uh, interception for a touchdown uh, throw into the flats. It, it just it was painful to sometimes to see him execute in a way that was, I'm going to throw this ball come hell or high water. And so it, you worry about those things, and it's hard to pick that up unless you just see a lot of it. Um, the blue which, jersey is good for some and terrible for others. Yeah, and, it, it, and it's always different. It's always different than game speed. So that that's, that's definitely a concern for me. I'll tell you another concern for me that has been alleviated a little bit in this past week. And that is the locks of the week. The realest deal, locks of the week. So locks of the week, as a group, we are 18 and 18. We have pulled even, if you discount the, the juice, the vigorous. It's week one next week, baby. It's starting this week. It's starting week over week one. Um, <laughs> let's make this last week week one, even though I was only one and three. I'm consistent. One and two. One and two. I was one and two. I've been one and two every week. Uh, you guys are all over the board. Two of you were three and oh. I don't know what the hell you're thinking. And and Connor, you were two and one. Two and one. So we're eighteen and eighteen as a group. I think we've turned a corner on this deal. And I'm I'm going to start us off because I've got a lock of the week that continues to be a lock. I am undefeated with this lock. I'm two and zero. Oh, and the reason I'm not three and zero oh is they didn't play in week zero, and that's the Sooners. The Sooners are going to cover twenty-seven and a half against the Tulsa Hurricane. That's my first lock of the week. My second is. South Alabama getting seven and a half against Oklahoma State. Um, I'm still not sold on the Oklahoma State situation. I got burned on it last week against Arizona State, trying to get the points, um, and the Cowboys pulled through and, and won uh, by ten, I think. So I think South Alabama covers the seven and a half, and I'm going to go with Wyoming getting twenty-eight and a half to Texas. Texas, I guess the narrative would be it's a letdown week for them. Wyoming is a tougher team than most appreciate. They obviously beat Texas Tech, so that means they can beat Texas schools. And I'm not saying they're going to win the game, but they're going to cover 28 and a half. Those are my locks. Connor, what do you got? I like those. Um, so I'm going to go with a couple of uh, Carolina schools. First one, I'm going to go South Carolina getting 27 and a half against Georgia. Uh, I think I think Rattler. I'm not saying he's going to keep up with the with the dogs, but I I think he covers that. Um, I've I like got that. North Carolina. Giving seven and a half against Minnesota, uh, I'm I didn't really see to see what Minnesota did last weekend. I'm sure it was a, a quote unquote cupcake. Uh, word was not impressive against Nebraska. Um, people will say they have a have a defense because of that low scoring game initially, but Nebraska can't score points. Um, so I've got North Carolina minus seven and a half. My last pick, uh, I've got Louisiana Monroe uh, getting thirty six and a half uh, in College Station. So I don't know if Vegas is seeing a bounce-back game for A&M after a, a big loss uh, in Coral Gables against uh, against Miami, but uh, I think Louisiana Monroe will cover, cover that. Well, let me give you a kiss of death because I like two of your picks a lot. I like the South Carolina pick for all those reasons, and I like the Monroe pick a lot. Um, I totally agree with you. I just don't see how you can believe in Jimbo Fisher at this point. Any Anybody that's going to play for Jimbo, I just don't understand it. If you're if you're taking a payday and then want to transfer out, I get it. But what are you doing? This, what this did, is a, he, a program. He had a press conference. That, was he saying something? Did you guys watch any he of that? He was complaining about the turf being slippery at midfield or something. Gotcha. Well, that's probably their whole problem. It was a whole problem. Yeah. Yeah. Why they put that ice down? They got that nice nice grass in, uh, at A&M that they'll, College they'll dominate it. They're technically, I mean, you'd really have to – to dig for this information, but the amount of talent that oh. they have on that football team to have the record that he's had for the last five years, particularly the last two or three, it's it's really pathetic. I mean, it, it rivals it really Texas. Is. It's worse. 
Oh, no, it is worse. It's they're, way worse because Texas only lost to OU in those years. No, You're talking Texas about, has had a lot of 7-5 and five seasons. In the last five years, they've had a couple 7-5 seasons. But they seasons. haven't had the talent. I'm thinking back to the Mac Brown years. Recruiting-wise, where they're, finishing they're one not and, that far behind A&M in the recruiting rankings. Yeah, I guess that's true, years. but I'm thinking. And they're playing in a week Yeah, no, no, A&M, A&M is, they had they I, had the best on paper recruiting class in history. I agree, but Dude. they're also playing in a tougher league. Uh, Texas, not tougher than Texas. I Texas keep going is, back. is like ranked four four spots behind yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. Year. I'm saying Mac Brown, but Texas, they have the same in, record the, worst in the early 2000s. Oh, I'm where he last five, every year was Coach years. February and was always one or two in the recruiting, very similar to AM and playing in one of the toughest leagues in America yeah. in the Big 12 at the time. Um, and he was, oh, and he had a lot of success. He just wouldn't beat OU. A&M can't beat anybody. I'm more talking Charlie Strong, Tom Herman gotcha. era. Gotcha, yeah. Because that's the same era as Jimbo, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going – I mean, that far back, yeah, that's that's a different story. Um, let's go with my locks of the week. All right. Mr. 3-0. I also have Oklahoma minus 27 and a half. Yes. Um, I th- this is a bounce-back game for the offense. The, Tulsa gave up so many yards to Washington, I don't see how we don't have a 500-yard game. Um, their, their offense – they only put up 10 points against Washington last week. I think it's going to be a home game in Tulsa for us. Um, I said on the pod, 20,000 out of the 30 are OU fans. I'm sticking with that. I just I don't think we'll see that much blue and gold in the stadium. I can't wait to see you try to count 20,000 people. That's going to be amazing. Can Here. you count that high? No, I cannot. <laughs> okay. Math is not my strong suit, except when it comes to locks. <laughs> um, my second game, I've got Iowa State getting given two and a half at Ohio. Um I haven't completely given up on Iowa State yet. They're getting there. But Ohio, I mean, the MAC teams every now and then have two good MAC teams in the whole league. I don't know that Ohio is one of them. So I think a field goal is reasonable for Ohio, for Iowa State to win. And then I've got Vandy at UNLV giving three and a half. I don't think you picked a single dog all year, and by the way. I think I took that just to stay out of the Big 12. All right. I also was 3-0 this past week, so oh, I feel pretty good. Oh, wow. Why don't you do a victory lap, yep. you know? Why don't you talk about the future and not the past? This is all a right. team game. How many J's does it take to, to change a light bulb? Two. Just, One to change the light bulb and the other to talk about how bright it glowed last that's week. That's right. I... Have the same thoughts as you, Steve. Yes. Wyoming plus 28 and a half. Exact same reasons. Huge, huge high for Texas. Best win they've had in 15 years, maybe 20 years. Great win. And Wyoming's a tougher squad than I think Texas is even going to give them Wyoming credit for. And it'll be, it'll be a little bit of a, a letdown game for Texas. Um, I'm going to take... Tennessee minus six and a half versus Florida. I know it's a big rivalry game. It's hard to play in the swamp, but I watched one of the worst football teams from a major power five conference play versus Utah that week one. And Utah had like five starters out and Florida couldn't even line up right. So I think Tennessee is going to take them to the woodshed. And I'm going to go with Kansas State minus five and a half at Missouri. Um, Kansas State's just too good of a team. They're just too well coached. That's not enough points. Missouri's not a good football team. You're not worried about all those rules they have at the zoo? That's going to counter the, the case. I am a little game. worried that you could watch that video too many times and somehow be affected by it. But that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Easy peasy. I mean, I feel great. I like those picks too. I think those are. I think those are pretty solid picks. So, um, we'll see. Uh, it's it's always tough to to pick against the spread, but it's in this week seemed a little more daunting. I think as we looked at it on paper than last week, and yet some of us didn't do that good. Uh, others did very well. So we'll we went, see. We went nine and three as a whole. Th- oh, as a group, we did I great. Think what we just read there, yeah. I think that's a ten and two right there. That's a good call. I'd say so. I, I think you're going to lose, too. Um, let's go to OU score predictions. So I am going to agree with the narrative that at least some of us are laying out. And, and, and well, does everybody have their score before I taint you with? Okay. Because I know two of your scores, but I don't know the other two. So I think OU 
is going to try to score a lot of points because there aren't many things that solve a problem when you've got question marks on offense like points. And I, I feel like if they get a chance, they're going to, and Lebby in particular is going to go for the jugular. Um, and this might be back against the wall what he needs to do. So I'm going to say OU is really putting the, the, the throttle down and a 59 to 3 performance. I think the defense is going to come up strong and going to, to stop Tulsa in their track. So 59 to 3 Sooners. Lucas, what do you got? I have 48 to 14 Oklahoma. Um, I don't think Brent will want to, want to run it up against Kevin Wilson. I think there's a slight factor of they've been friends for a long time. And I really respect Kevin Wilson. He's, he was my favorite offensive coordinator. Me too. Um, the, the 2008 year was the, the most incredible football I've ever bliss. seen. Scoring plus, what was it, 60 plus 60 six games six in a row games, or something yeah. like that. I mean, that was the most beautiful offense and most balanced offense I've ever seen. He doesn't have, uh, I mean, he doesn't have a, a hundredth of the athlete at Tulsa that we had in that in those years. No. But um, I, just, I don't. If Jackson Arnold does get to come in mid third quarter with a big lead, I think they'll let him run a little bit of the offense and then a lot of handoffs. So, I and I don't, I don't think I think Brent, even if we did go crazy and try to blow him out, Kevin Wilson will understand. No, but, I think so. I don't think he's going to try to. But he's not. I don't gonna think he's going to be passing right. on first down when we're up. If it's we happen to be, be they up, didn't give, they didn't care about Butch Jones's feelings, right? In the slightest, right? right. Even though we didn't score. The, Butch Jones. In the fourth uh, quarter. I saw. Yeah. I saw they they showed a clip of them shaking hands after the game. Butch Jones saying thank you for slowing the game down. At the end. <laughs> that was the first yeah, thing he said. There was a running clock. I would like to hope that we are slowing the game down and yet we're still scoring and maybe have already scored our fifty nine. And I think so. I think with all the outcry of. Even like our little post-game video where I was complaining about snapping the ball 33 seconds when the game is still in in doubt because it was 14 to 11. And you could and use that. that runoff. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that maybe that might be a point of emphasis to when you have the big lead, start snapping it at seven and not 30. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've I've almost lost hope in that. But uh, I'm gonna go a little bit closer. 41 13. Um, barely cover i think washington's a, a really good football team yeah i do too and they were probably looking ahead a little bit to michigan state and didn't put everything together against tulsa but they've got a heisman caliber quarterback they've got two early round nfl draft wide receivers and you know just play a brand of good solid defense um i think it'll be a little bit more of a game than I think Tulsa's better than an Arkansas State. It's I don't think it's going to be quite like that at all. I think it's right in between Arkansas State and SMU. So I think we can do what we want to do for the most part, but it's not going to be that easy. So. Yeah, uh, similar. I've got 45-13. Uh, a lot of the same reasons. I, I don't know. I, I need Jeff Lebby to show me that he – he can do what he did against Arkansas State, against a, a lesser opponent than SMU, but a, a better opponent than Arkansas State. Um, so I, I think we, I don't think it's a game where we're ever, you know, uncomfortable, obviously, with the score, but uh, I don't see us going out and putting up the, the 60s or anything like that. Uh, so I've got 45-13. I'm sticking to one field goal this week. Venables has shown us that he's not afraid to go for it when he needs to, and uh, so I'm only going with the one field goal prediction for us. I, I kind of think I, – I, I thought the, the field goal idea too, obviously. Um, I think that they're going to want to work that in if they get the opportunity. Um, I think a lot about the scoring is going to be if I'm right at three points or you guys are right at 13 or 14, it's going to be – did they score late? I sure hope it's that way. I hope it's not that they come out against our first team defense and have any success aside from some kind of a busted play. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, the only thing I th- think of with which I think it may be a scrap touchdown. Um, the thing that we saw, we saw Arkansas State attempt two field goals that they missed. So that could have been a 76-6 to six game uh, had they made those. 
I think Tulsa will have a couple opportunities to uh, to cash in on on three points. So, yeah, I think I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, I, I'd say my expectations are pretty high, as obviously that score would predict, and that's my way of saying I want to see a lot out of this team. I want to see that they've taken a step to the next level. This is game three. You should be working kinks out, and you should be really implementing the start of what will be midseason form. This is your first glimpse of midseason form. This coming is your to play. this is your conference play walkthrough that you need to start. Because this is your dress rehearsal that you have it going gets into Cincinnati. With Cincinnati, um, we'll we'll see by the end of the season if Cincinnati is better or worse than SMU. But going up to Cincinnati. Um, what what if Lucas is right will be our first true complete road game because you won't be in front of a friendly audience. Um, you'll be leaving the state and, and everything that's entailed with that. And then all of a sudden, you've got uh, traditional conference play against Iowa State, which is uh, if we don't think Iowa State's that good, but that's potentially a trap game before Texas. And then Texas is beat us you, in twenty seventeen. You right better be in midseason form. That's right. You better be in midseason form for Texas because Texas looks like. They might be the real deal. They're going to come into that game thinking they're the real deal. What's going to be interesting for me is, let's say we do turn it on against Tulsa. So it is something that we can turn on and turn off, right, as Connor alluded to, like a bounce-back game for the offense. One, then why was the SMU game the way it was? It, the game wasn't in hand. No, it wasn't. So, in what hand. are the coaches thinking? Are you taking? Are right? you resting on your laurels or taking a lot for granted? What's going on? Yeah, there's so much that could have gone wrong for you in that game. At fourteen to eleven it in was, the fourth quarter, yeah. it was close to going wrong. Yeah, it was very close to going. It was wrong. very, like, they very were close way to going too wrong. comfortable. If, if if we were holding things back, right? right? They were way too comfortable in that game, and thought we had it too much in hand, and thought the defense was just going to shut them down the whole time, to have done that, and. Um, also, okay, it's a bounce-back game, but it's ridiculous to have to do that. So because they heard all the fans are clamoring and all what happened to SMU, and now the coaches are reflecting back on it like, well, maybe we were just too conservative. Well, no kidding, right? So, but maybe so they both, did learn. Maybe they learn. Maybe they learn and they decide that they need to, what they need to do and what they can't do. That, that's, to me, the thing that will be insightful is to say, can they learn from mistakes? And mistakes were made in, in preparation and execution in SMU against SMU. Can they learn to figure out how they need to play this so that you're putting games away? Put, ga- put Teams like this, put them away. But what's, what's wild, though, is... I am afraid I don't either. How often are you conservative on offense? Especially when the way that you're calling your plays or how quickly you're running the next play doesn't coexist with being conservative. Yeah. If you're going to be conservative in your play calling, okay, do safe passes, do generic stuff, don't show future opponents things, but then run down the clock. Right. And if can't, you're not you can't doing have both. either one, what are you doing? What the hell are you doing? Yeah. You that's, saw what, it a, that's what frustrates me. You saw it in a micro, micro way last year with the Oklahoma State game itself you saw what you saw what we saw with arkansas state and then smu within a game within game one game where you saw one half of what we probably can say creativity and uh lively offense and action foot on the pedal foot on the pedal like we're gonna drive the stake through this team's heart all night long to shifting to that Oh, we're playing conservative, but we're not playing a conservative a conservative level of football to be able to put the game itself away. So I agree. I and that's that's why this game for me is I don't know how much you, you put weight into it until that coaching staff shows us that we can trust them to make those adjustments in from a game to a game to game scenario, um, as opposed to whatever the hell we saw between week one and week two this season. I, I think there's two things to say about that that are uh, those are great points. Um, historically speaking, these are games where you establish yourself and really show how dominant you can be. And it's not just history of OU football, it's history of any championship level team. When we look back, I look back at teams that I was rooting against and I was hoping after they had a struggling, not-so-great game that the next opponent wouldn't do so well against them, and they go out and they take care of business. Great teams take care of business, and they're able to do that. And can we do that? Will we do that? 
and you back thinking back to the Oklahoma State game last year, there's two elements to that 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 are one is an excuse or and a legitimate reason, and one of them is a worry. The re, the reason were excuse is were they just so thin that they didn't have the depth to do what they need to do for four, four quarters, quarters of football, and then the worry is. Was Oklahoma State able to make adjustments that you weren't able to make readjustments for? And that played out really quickly after the second quarter, or in the second quarter, that Oklahoma State was doing things differently. And did this coaching staff not change up what they were doing and realize they need to make changes for the changes they're seeing on the field? And so that's the worry is can this, can this coaching staff not adapt to the game as it's being played? Are they just going to rely on lots of talent and having an early lead and just just bank on that. But again, if you don't have the depth to do what you want to do for four quarters, why are you snapping the ball with thirty seconds? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. If if when we look back, if it, if SMU and it was fourteen to um, three, mm-hmm. right? If if we had done run up the middle on first down, killed thirty five seconds of clock. Run up the middle on second down, kill thirty five seconds and try and pick up a third, maybe we get it, maybe we don't, and then punt, that's fine. You're, you're, you're closing the game, you're ending the game, you're making it shorter. We were do, not doing that. We were just not getting first down to yardage and not killing any clock Well, what, as if we were right, up by 40. Right, and, and the way we were doing that, instead of the running the ball where you've got a chance and it's going to run clock no matter what, you were dropping back to pass, you were looking off of everything deeper than five yards, you were throwing either a completion for three yards that you had already snapped the ball with 30 seconds left on the clock, or you were throwing an incompletion, which stops the clock. And so both of those things are pretty bad in in light of the idea that you're trying to get out of this game and just run clock yeah, it felt to shorten like it. the game plan, it, it felt like the coaches thought we had a 30-point lead. Yeah. It's got to get better. Yep, and it will. get better, and I think it will. I think it will. Well, we'll be here for the post game. Until then, Boomer. Sooner. Sooner.